0: So uh, tonight is QA, oh forgive me, I got my cord hanging out, how bad, how unsightly, all right. So tonight we're doing QA, QA. Um, I didn't have a flood of questions come in, but I did have some, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead I guess and attack those, I don't know how long this will take, so we'll go as long as we, we can, and then if you, how many just for grins, how many of you have like a question burning right now, top of your head, you just want to have it answered tonight. Oh, well, no questions? How many of you are reading your Bible every day? Okay, that's good. All right. that's. I guarantee you, if you're not reading your Bible, you will have no questions that are probably worth asking. So, uh, but when you read your Bible daily, God gives you an ability to, uh, to ha- you know, He always gives you something that you're kind of noodling on and wondering about. And so, all right. So the first question tonight is kind of a tough one. I'm glad Bob Bob is here to answer it for us. So, um uh, so uh, Jeff's not here, so I can't pick on him. But uh, this is a this is an interesting question. I'm gonna I'm interested to get your guys's perspective on it. Go to Matthew chapter uh, five. Matthew chapter five. This is one of those absolute st- type of statements, and man, we just can't have that in today's world. So it really causes problems when we hear Jesus get dogmatic about something. So uh, Matthew chapter five. And I definitely will need the mic ran tonight, probably. So, um, Caleb, can I ask you to run the mic? Sorry to interrupt your Bible study there. You don't have to answer, but just kind of keep an eye out for wherever it's going. Because here in a minute I'll be asking. I'm going to ask you to read it. How's that, since you've got the mic to start with? And then from there on, I may have you run it. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 31. I'm in Mark. It's the wrong end. But it is after Matthew, so Matthew five thirty one and thirty two. So could you read that for us, brother?
1: Sure. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery,
0: all right, so the question is is in this in the case of divorce, it appears to state someone who marries someone who has been divorced is committing adultery, so uh, clarification on the issue is the root of the question is someone who marries a divorced person committing adultery with that person I don't know, Caleb, what do you think? The question is, uh, so Jesus says here, um, it hath been said, whosoever put away his wife, let him give her writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, semicolon, or no, colon, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. So that would lead one to believe what would that lead one to believe? Right, you can't get divorced, and if you do, you're committing adultery if you get divorced after you've been married. So that's the question. That's what Jesus said, so there you go. So, uh, so no, there's a—the uh, reason that—well, that, let me ask you guys. Why does that seem problematic? Or does it? Nope. Can you get her the mic? You have to because the people listening can't hear you, so it's just like dead air. It's like if you not listening to a radio program and nobody's talking.
1: <laughs> it kind of feels like he's withholding the ability to make fruit. Mm. of.
0: Like I, I think that's the booth. You're okay. doing fine. Perfect.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Um, like Did to you be able to have more children or
0: spiritual yeah. fruit. Time out. Do you have hearing assistance? Do, do you need hearing assistance? She uh, Sharon Sharon can't pick up. Can you guys hear her? Okay, yeah. So, do we have the hearing assistance connections counter? So we might want to run and get Sharon some uh, some uh, headphones. So okay, so so it's like he's saying that um, um, he's hindering the ability to bear fruit. That's an interesting. Actually, that is a, a unique perspective. I wasn't even considering it, that. But that's true. Obviously, that would hinder the ability to bear fruit, and there may and there may be some merit to to that as well, right? Because uh, he doesn't. We think about that in when we talk about discipling too. You know, what we reproduce. You, you know, if someone's a rascal, you don't want to reproduce that. You know, you don't. You, so there's that's really good. Um, that's good. Anything else? Anybody else got a perspective on that? Thank you, Taylor. I think that's actually part of the equation a little bit. All right. Well, one of the things about Bible study that's important uh, with these type of questions, and and you know we're starting here with a with a you know a, a one passage on the, on marriage and divorce. Matthew chapter five thirty one. Thirty two. So, uh, what's the first rule of Bible study? That's right. Context. So, what's going on in the context of this chapter? Does anybody know Matthew 5? What's Jesus doing? Where's he at? What's going on? Pretty famous passage. Yeah, it's a Sermon on the Mount. So, that's important to know. Historically, uh, we have Jesus, he's preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. Great sermon. And he preached it more than once by the way, a uh, you see it appearing in different places um, but this is Matthew five is like you know it is the one of the main places where you see Jesus on the you know details of the Sermon on the Mount it's also you could call this the Constitution for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven I should say. Which gives us a little bit of insight also to how God has preserved this in his word. I'm going to put this at an angle because I'm running out of board. You probably can't hardly see this anyway, even though it's, it's a little bit larger. Can you guys in the back see the, the words there? Okay. So you got the context, which is always the first principle of Bible study. Historically, right? It's dealing with um, Sermon on Mount. Who's his audience? Who's it written to? Historically, who is he speaking to? The Jews. That's right. So this is going to the Jews. These guys are familiar with the law. All right. Now, doctrinally, where's this taking us? Some of you D two students, right? Been in D two? Where's this where's this sermon really? If he's laying out the constitution for the kingdom, <clears throat> remember he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So is this in force now? Not altogether. It will be but it's not now when will this be when will, when will the, the this be in force I'm sorry I can't hear you guys that's my problem after the church is caught away yeah after that and then when Jesus is ruling and reigning because it's about the king and his kingdom specifically dealing with the kingdom of heaven right and so does that mean it doesn't apply at all to the church? If it does, how does it apply? Oh, no, I'm asking more questions than I'm getting answers, aren't I? So we covered two aspects, you know, uh, historically. The context, we got the historical context. <clears throat> the doctrinal context, I jumped ahead to. That's going to be the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. I don't think uh, I spelled that right, but you know what I'm trying to say. Millennium, the doctrinal context. And then you have the devotional, right? Man, I think my brain's a little fried today. Uh, The the devotional context, which is, there's all kinds of practical stuff. Also called the inspirational context, right? I mean, man, the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, Now technically, is our inheritance the earth? Now our inheritance is Christ. But if you go strictly by Matthew 5, and you're going to inherit the earth. So there's some, just, just starting, or without even getting into the issue of marriage, you just got to kind of understand contextually what's going on in Matthew. What's, in Matthew, the whole book of Matthew, we covered this last week, I think. What's that, who's that, what's that about? Jesus is seen as the what? The king of the kingdom, right? So you have the king talking specifically about what's going to be happening in his kingdom, Sermon on the Mount, and that'll take place in the millennium. It could have taken place then, right, when the kingdom was at hand, because... If they would receive their Messiah, it would have been unlike Donkey Kong. But they, they didn't. So uh, church age, which is what Aaron's referring to, has put things on hold for a thousand years. After the catching away of the church, there will be the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week and the second coming of Christ uh, you know, visibly to the, church, to the world at the end of that seventh-year period. And then we will have the millennial reign of Christ where he literally rules and reigns. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And as as he uh, laid it out in, in the book of Matthew chapter five, in the Sermon on the Mount, that will be how he conducts business. All right. So that's just kind of contextually what's going on in Matthew uh, chapter five, which is important because when it comes to the subject of marriage and divorce and all of that, um, go back to um, uh, where is that? Hang on, I'm thinking about it. Uh, well, let's start in the law. Well, let's know. Let's go to. Let's go back to Matthew 19. I think it's Matthew 19. I'm actually going off my memory here. Hang on just a second. Yeah, Matthew 19, you kind of get a full, kind of a little bit fuller picture of this discussion and also some of the angst that's going on. It also would help us to back up in Matthew 5 and look at the, you know, at least the whole paragraph as well. We didn't do that. We'll come back to that here in a little bit as we uh, as we look at this subject, but in Matthew 19, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and gave multi- and, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And then we see in verse 3 the Pharisees show up. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So they come you know, asking him questions, cute little questions. Uh, to try to trip him up. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Genesis one twenty seven. So gender, by the way, that settles a lot of questions in our culture today. So male and female. He's setting the parameters for marriage between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. So that's what the Bible teaches. That's the way God designed it. That's what even in nature... You know, it's just obvious. It's patently obvious unless you are living in a fantasy of uh, sin and blindness, which many are today. Okay, so that's kind of check one. He just checks that box, man and a woman. Um, In the beginning, verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Okay, that's check one, verse 4. Verse 5, And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh notice at the end of verse 5 that's a question not a statement he's like he's like saying why did, why did I let him of course this is Jesus so he's God speaking why did I put man and woman together so they leave father and mother come together as one flesh is that not why I put them together yeah, of course that's you know somewhat rhetorical he didn't put them together so they could get divorced. He put them together to stay together and to bear fruit. Okay, so uh, verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, right? There's no, they're not two, but one flesh. So he's getting down to the kindergarten level. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So verse 6 is, is really the key also to what we see in Matthew 5. Because who's, what is God's will concerning marriage? After just reading a few verses, two passages, Matthew five thirty-one and 32, and what his response to the Pharisees in Matthew 19. Right. They are together for life. That's his intention. That's how he created it from the beginning. And at the end of that, he says, "What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And, of course, they're coming to him with the law, asking about Deuteronomy 24, saying then, well, why is it in the law then? Because didn't God write the law, so didn't God say that you can get divorced? Because they're going to get cute with Jesus on this. So Jesus is backing them up, back up, back up, back up, saying, wait a minute. Let's let's start with the premise of why who, who created it, marriage. God did. God instituted it. God established it. God's intentions were for them to come together, stay together, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. That was what God intended with marriage. He never like called an audible and said, Oh, you know what? I think today I want you to get divorced. What what what, what by the way, what causes at the root, what causes problems in marriage that bring divorce ultimately? It's a three letter word. All right, sin. Right, sin is what brings this to pass. So he's not dealing with that yet. He's talking about, hey, this is what I've intended, because I'm God. Jesus is God. He's saying this is what God intended. Ergo, that's what he intended, because he is God in flesh. Okay, so, um, wherefore, they are no more twain but one. Okay, so so they get cute, and they say unto him, why did Moses then command? Now, Jesus is smart. He knows where they're going. Right now, he, he they ask him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Well, if God meant it to be like that, then why did Moses, who you know is God's man, command that we could get divorced or to get a writing of divorce? And he saith them, then Moses, because of the hardness of, and I love the way he says this, your hearts suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. So you have, a, you have what you have here is a perspective on Jesus' idea for marriage and what Jesus is wanting and what God wants and what the Pharisees want. And Jesus is very specific. The, the, the law of divorcement was written for the hard-hearted of which the Pharisees are for the most part. Hard-hearted folks. And so it was allowed, not not that God wanted it, but it was allowed because of the hardness of their heart And so uh, verse 9 says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So under the law, adultery is a big deal. So let's just bookmark the subject from Matthew, and let's go back to the law, because that's really the subject that brings this all up. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, as you're turning there, there are some that teach uh, from about the 1950s on that this is only dealing with people who are espoused to be married, meaning they're engaged, which like Mary and Joseph. Uh, I don't think that's even anywhere in the Bible. They're just I think that's being made up myself. I, I don't see that as applicable. They're saying it only applies to somebody who's... Well, all marriages used to be arranged at that time, for the most part, so... Um, yeah, so whenever someone was espoused, engaged um, So if I betrothed my daughter to Your, your son And uh, and then somewhere along the way We find out, uh-oh, my daughter wasn't faithful Then your son has the ability to write the bill of divorcement Before they get married, or, or even afterward I, I mean, obviously, that's entirely possible But that's not likely I mean, that's not. I, this is dealing with people who are married, because we're talking about putting away your wife. Uh, so it's not limited to people that are espoused to be married. It's, it's, it's talking about people that are married. Um, okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 24 uh, says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorce meant... And give it unto her hand, and send her out of the house. Uh, And when she is departed out of the house, she may go and and be another man's wife. Oh, notice that in verse 2. So here in in Deuteronomy 24, she's free to be another man's wife. So we have a contradiction in the Bible. No, we really don't. Um, Because this is a different dispensation. Uh, and it's present during the time of Jesus is offering the kingdom in Matthew 5. Remember the context. So we're going somewhere with this. So under the Mosaic Law, <clears throat> which is what they were talking to Jesus about and what Jesus was responding to in Matthew 19, yeah, Moses, this is what the law says. You can write it because of the hardness of your heart. You don't have to write it, by the way, but you can if um, if you if, if that's the case. Uh, if there's some uh, some reason, some uncleanness, it says here, um, then he can write her a bill of divorcement, and she can uh, remarry. Verse 3, And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of the house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth uh, thee for an inheritance. So under the Matthew, or Deuteronomy 24, uh, what God was delivering to Israel as they were preparing to enter the promised land, he's saying, look... um, he never first of all, we got to go back to what Jesus said in the beginning, right God doesn't want divorce, but he allowed it because of, he's, he's already given us the answer. He allowed it because of the hardness of the heart, and so so that lady wasn't destitute, she could remarry, but she couldn't go back to the first husband after she had been remarried. She couldn't do it. God says that's an abomination and, and even if she's a widow it doesn't matter, but she's free to remarry. According to Deuteronomy 24. So um, that's not as tight as like, you know, uh, some, some of my friends would say, well, uh, Brian, it's now the New Testament and we're going off of Matthew and the Beatitudes and and what Jesus says here. So now in the New Testament, um, in the church age, we should adhere to this. So then once a lady is divorced, some of you probably heard this. Once a, a lady is divorced, she cannot remarry unless she goes back to her husband. Anybody heard, heard that? Yeah. But the husband's free to remarry. Have you heard that? Yeah. If you strict adherence to First Corinthians uh, and to this would could lead you to believe that. And so uh, there's that. If you want to take Matthew and and apply it very literally in the church age. But that doesn't really line up with First Corinthians chapter seven or um, what it says in Timothy about a man being an infidel. So, this is something I've really personally uh, worked through over the years. Uh, I've, I've always, fortunately, I've you know I've been blessed. I've married the wife of my youth, and I'm a one-woman man. So, praise the Lord. But, but not everybody's that way. And I've seen this play out even by people who espouse... It's interesting. I've seen people, pastors, who who espouse the position that a wife should wait until the husband either is dead and then she's free to remarry um, or return. And I kind of used to go with that because that really is what it kind of looks like in First Corinthians 7. Until... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so. But I, I'm not. I don't. I don't stand there anymore, and I'll tell you why when we get to the end. But let me just uh, let me finish this Matthew five, and Matthew 19, and Deuteronomy 24 discussion first, then we'll get to First Corinthians seven. So under the law of Moses, right? It's very clear that it's not even. It's not quite as tight as what Jesus is saying in De- Matthew five, and Matthew 19. Although he does mention, except for fornication. And so there is a little caveat. So his intention is that people are married, and they stay married. And if you're having, so if you're having sex outside of marriage, what is that? Fornication. And if you're married and having sex with someone who's not your spouse, what is that? Adultery. Right. Okay. This so we're clear. That seems to be very blurry in our culture today. And so those are both sins, and uh, it's out of out of bounds. All right. So. Um, all right, so God, let's just, for, for, let's just, before we go much further, just a couple of passages that we can mark down as far as God's perspective on um, divorce. So what's God think about divorce? He hates it, right? Uh, there's a few verses here I got jotted down. Um, Malachi 2, 14 through 16, I was going to say Haggai for some reason, Malachi 2, somebody read that, Malachi 14 through 16, somebody have that? should be on. Okay. Yet ye say wherefore because the Lord
1: hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant and did not he make one yet had he that the residue of the spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously
0: Against the wife of his youth. Amen. Thank you. So here, God is being very clear that uh, He has a problem with Israel because they are—they're they're putting their the wife of their your, their wife once their wives get a little old, they're putting them away, trading them in for a new model. He's like, that is not what I was intending, right? Um, She's your companion and your, co- it's your covenant, and I, I made you—didn't I make you one flesh, right? So you're you're cutting yourself in half. And so I'm looking for a godly seed. What are you doing? And he, he hates it. Um, he hates putting away. There's another passage. Um, I don't know. Yeah, verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away. For one uh, covereth violence with his gar- garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. You are abusing these women. Uh, I hate it," he says. "I hate the I hate that you guys putting away your wives. You're not treating them right." Um, a passage that you know we we like to quote, which is a good one, is in Romans seven, uh, Romans chapter seven, down in verse two. It says. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress, but if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. All right, so here's an example of of, uh, in Romans 7 uh Where you would you know say, okay well, it looks like here also in first Corinthians that she is in a situation where she can only be married right if if her husband's dead then she's free from that that law Now when we do a, a marriage ceremony actually what do we what I'd say this at I think at every marriage ceremony till death do you part yeah do us part so that's pretty common knowledge today I don't think anyone comes together. And gets married, especially two Christians shouldn't come together expecting to get divorced uh, till death do us part. And so um, now here it says, well, if her husband puts her away, then she's, uh she's called an adulteress if she's with another man, but if her husband be, de- be dead, she's free from the law, so she, she's not an adulteress so she can be married to another man So here she is on hold um, in uh, Romans seven until her husband passes away. Hmm, so they're bound together as long as they live. So 1 Corinthians 7, let's go look at that one, because that also uh, is an interesting passage, 1 Corinthians 7. And there's a lot here. Um, of course, all of 1 Corinthians, most of it is what they're not doing right. Not, it's not, he's not commending them for what they're doing right. Most of the time it's what they're not doing well. Uh, but he says in verse 1 of chapter 7 Now concerning things where, where, whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, singular, not wives. So he's not advocating multiple wives, like out in Salt Lake City or whatever. Uh, and let every man have her own husband, one man, one woman. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. They are to be meeting one another's needs, uh, sexually, uh, emotionally, um, all the, uh, financially, whatever. If he's he's obviously should be providing, so on and so forth. Emotionally, so the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud you not one another except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And so that's specifically dealing with um, the marital union and the need to be faithful in that to one another. Okay, but I speak this by permission and not by commandment. Um, But I would that all men were even as I myself. So it's okay if you're single. But every man hath his, his proper gift, one after this manner, another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it's good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Okay. And if she depart. Well, I thought he just said don't let her depart. He did. And if she depart. Um, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Well, the only path in 1 Corinthians 7 for a Christian marriage is what? Huh? Murder? Murder? No. <laughs> Kim, I'm worried about you. <laughs> this comes up all too often. <laughs> so... So... Uh, I was thinking more like reconciliation, right? So the whole idea of 1 Corinthians 7 is reconciliation. He's talking to Christians here. He's like, look, there's a place for maybe where you need to be separated, but the idea is that you come back together. He starts off talking about coming together, and then he's like, but there are issues, and those issues need to be resolved, and you need to come back together, right? Uh, The husband, in this case, is not free to write a bill of divorcement, nor is she free to run off and do something else. Ideally, that's the heart in the Church Age. There's really nothing you can't forgive or get over, but nonetheless, people get divorced anyway. I'll talk with, about that in just a minute. Okay, so that you know, let her remain unmarried to be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. If, if you stay in the con, up through one through eleven, what you really have is be together, stay together, and if there is a problem, reconcile and get back together. You know after, if there is a need, if, you know, you know you're supposed to be together, but I just can't take it anymore, okay, well then you can step out for a minute, not step out of the marriage and your marital covenant, right, that doesn't mean you get to date and that's called fornication and adultery, right, so that means you get to step out until such a time as it can be brought back together, and uh, and that happens from time to time, successfully Um, oftentimes it doesn't, and then people do what they want to do, and they Because of the hardness of their heart, they find themselves right back under the law. Not the law of Moses, but the law of the state of Missouri or Kansas or whatever. And they write a bill of divorcement, and that's where they live. Uh, Okay, so uh, verse 12. But the the rest speak I, not the Lord. If a brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So now all of a sudden, he, he switches the subject from being equally yoked and married to unequally yoked. But the rest I speak not the Lord. If a brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not. Notice that he's saying her, what's good for her, what she's desiring. Is she desiring to be with you, Christian man? Well, then don't put her away, right? Don't do that. Stay married to her. Again, because we want to win him. First Peter 3 talks about that, right? The wife wins, the husband, the husband uh, also knows how to dwell with his wife according to knowledge, so that he can win them. So that so Paul is not on a on a on a mission here to cut off that lost woman, get her out of here. She's unclean. No, just stay in the marriage and and if that's the way you came into Christ, that unequal yoke. Well, then stay that way until you get her saved and God makes her yoke equal yoke, right? And then that'd be that's best. Uh, verse twelve. But to the rest speak I not the Lord. Verse thirteen. And the woman which hath a husband. That believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Right? If you, and that I see that case a lot, because women love to fix people, so they go out and they find some dude who makes a false profession of faith because he just thinks she's hot and says, Sure, I'm sure, baby, I'm a Christian. Whatever you need me to say. And then so they get married, and she's all starry-eyed, and then next thing you know, they're married, and she's like, I don't think this guy's saved. And he's like, Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm not. So uh, literally that's just happened to, to someone I heard about just recently it's sad and uh, you know and this is the case I'm thinking of the guy wasn't pleased to dwell with her so they were divorced yeah sad situation so um, anyway point being is uh, what happened in the first centuries happened in the last century you know happening right now unfortunately that's the kind of stuff Paul's writing about um, okay so but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Uh, so, but God hath called us to peace. Do what's going to bring the peace, if you're an equal yoke. So most folks, I love the way Paul kind of works this in First Corinthians, because he's been around a while. Paul's no fool. And he's also an attorney, right? People probably call him, can you do my divorce papers, Paul? So, um He's like, listen, um, the idea here is to stay as true to what God intended from the beginning. One man, one woman, stay together until you die. You know, that's it. That's what God's always wanted, Genesis 1. Uh, That's what he's always intended. Sin is what mucks it up. So he's telling the Pharisees in Matthew 19, the reason that there's a bill of divorcement is because you... Pharisees like it that way. You like putting away your wives. He's honked off. Jesus a little honked off about it. He was honked off about it, you know, 400 years earlier in Malachi. That I don't like it when you treat your wives like this. You trade her in for a new model, right? She goes through menopause. You trade her in and go get a younger one so you can have more kiddos. He's like, man, I didn't intend that. You're treating him poorly. And now what? Now what's your wife going to do, right? Are you taking care of her? Is her dad want her? No. She's not going nobody's gonna remarry her now. So he's upset about how they're treating their wives, so he's not happy about it. However, Paul also, conversely, says, Look, the attitude ought to be, even if you were married to somebody now, let me ask you this, class, if you're if you're a saved human, born again, should you go out seeking to be married to somebody who's not saved? No. Don't missionary date don't even pretend which happens all the time uh, it's foolishness you know don't let your emotions override your intellect it's ridiculous it is a recipe for disaster so 1st corinthians 7 is teaching especially on christian spouses being married to unbelievers and then as it gets to the end of the chapter it deals with virgins and what how a man handles his virgin which is like a lost concept in our in our you know the last 60 years probably But there was a time, even in America, where you, like, stewarded your virgin daughter's purity and her reproductive capacity and her virtue, whatever synonyms we want to use, so that she would be married to Mr. wright that's where that term comes from, so they could have a marriage where they were together forever and they would produce children and have a wonderful family that glorifies God, you know. And, of course, there were problems because people are human in their sin, But ideally, you know, if you walk her down the aisle, you know, that's just not like tradition, and you hand off your daughter because it's like you, the father, are handing off your daughter. (laughs) You're giving her to another man, which is completely considered misogyny, of course, today in our culture. But it's actually because people don't understand the way God designed it. It's not misogyny. it's it's, 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 um, It's natural affection for your daughter, for goodness sake. You care about your daughter, and you don't want to just let her. She's precious. You don't just want some jackleg coming up and marrying her, who's not going to provide for her, who's not going to provide for your grandkids, and you don't want to pay for some. I don't want to pay. I don't want an Elizabeth marrying some schmuck that I'm paying all the bills for. I'm not going to be happy. And if I if she marries some deadbeat that won't go to work and he's laying around, and my kids and grandkids are all, I'm not going to be happy. Right? Dads have a, he, they do have an input on these things. <laughs> that doesn't mean their daughters listen. A good father, of course, there's a lot of fathers that aren't good, but uh, a good father's going to, you know, want what's best for his daughter and for his grandchildren and so on and so forth. This, this, this is like the ABCs, but you know what? When I got saved, I didn't understand all that. How many of you were like kind of blind to all that at one time in your life? A handful of us. I was. There was a time in my life I didn't understand any of that. All you folks that grow up in church and hear this from the time you come out of the crib, man, I tell you, believe it or not, there's a lot of people out here, and I used to be one of them. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I did see it, though, at least. I saw my dad walk my sisters down the aisle, and he didn't cry much, but when he cried, it was over my sisters, you know, twice. I saw him cry at two weddings, and once when he went in the hospital for back surgery. But other than that, I didn't see him cry. So I, it kind of was kind of taught to me vicariously. It's like, oh, well, that's a big deal to my dad, who you know his daughter's getting married. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that's that's a that's an important thing. So they should they should stay one flesh. First Corinthians seven goes on to say that. Um, uh, where was I at? Oh, verse, yeah, 15. So, verse 16. For what knowest thou, wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Not that she can literally save him, but of course, bring him to faith in Christ. Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt, shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any called being uh, circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision, let him not be. Uh, circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. But let every man abide in the same calling wherein he is called. So it looks like he's changing subjects, but he's not. He's talking about the difference between the Jews and the Greeks, right, uh, and the Romans. Saying, look, if you're called and you were circumcised as a Jew, obviously, well, obviously, don't worry about it. Stay stay circumcised. If you're called as a Gentile, then don't worry about it, right? It's not, don't and he's saying, look, if you were called, if you got saved and you were married to someone who wasn't, don't worry about it. Stay married, right? Save, just, just stay in that situation if you can, but there is a provision in case uh, they want to peel out on you because that does often happen, unfortunately. All right, so um, verse 27 says, Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. So um, I should probably just go ahead and keep reading all this in, in order. So let's let's go to verse uh, twenty-two. He deals with also if you're called being a servant, you know, if you're in a contractual agreement for for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also that is uh, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You're bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men, brethren, but every man wherein is, wherein he is called there and abide with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment of uh, judgment. As one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man to be uh, so to be, right? So and he says, man, it's a good time not just to be free and not to be bound with a wife because the church is under a lot of persecution. Art thou bound unto a wife? Well, seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But and if thou marry, thou hast has not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, shall uh, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short; it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would, ha- I would have you, to, uh, but I would have you with carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord, but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So count the cost before you get married, because that responsibility is going to affect your liberty to serve the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get married. He's not saying that. He makes that clear. It's okay if you want to, if you need to get married, but and if you don't need to be married, then I, he said, well then don't, because there's a lot of things. This is like totally the opposite of what most churches are promoting, which is everyone get married and have kids and all that. Well, he's saying, well actually. If you can stay single, there's a lot of things you can do. Right? Um, so before you just jump, you know, if, if that's a grace that God's given you, like Paul's saying, like He's given me, then stay then stay single. But and if that's not for you, okay, then get married. Just understand that when you get married, husbands, you need to care for your wife. And it's gonna take it's gonna take some concerted effort. Even the old testament, you took the first year off and cheered up your wife. You're such a bummer, man. It took a whole year to cheer her up <laughs> after those wedding bells. Of course, consider the Old Testament. It, they were arranged marriages. And so that that lady had to, I mean, there wasn't no, you just kind of had to deal with what you got. You know, when I got saved, my disciple taught me something. And I really, I always remember this. And I, and I thought it was, tr- I think it's true. Um, and um, our Western mindset is such, you know, that you got to meet someone and you fall in love and all this. But he always he always told me because God had worked so much in his marriage. His testimony, if he doesn't mind me sharing it was that he got saved. He understood enough about first Corinthians seven. He's like, ha, shucky darns. She hates my guts. This thing's over too bad. And, uh, went to the pastor last ditch effort. One last hail Mary pass. He was convinced his wife was going to bail out. This is it. And, uh, then they are going to be apart and he'll be free and, and, uh, and all that tension and stress in their life will be over and he'll move on.
1: And
0: of course, you know what happened. She went in to see the pastor. And next thing you know, she's bowing her head and confessing with her mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> and uh, they're married to this day, praise God. And they discipled us. So, uh, you know, God does that. And so he wasn't, God, God used him to get her saved. And, and uh, of course, they served the Lord ever since. And, you know, ironically, they used to teach marriage counseling at our a pre-marriage at our church back in the day. So um, so anyway, it's kind of cool how God does that. But uh, a lot of people are, you know, they, they, they're looking for wiggle room, and, and that's not God's heart. God's heart's always about getting people saved, getting them reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. <clears throat> and then another mysterious little passage, uh, which will be helpful for Luke Fleshman, who's, who's actually interested in this topic because he's got kids asking this question is verse 34 about the virgins, right? Um, There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, right? Because you can have a pure body but a pretty filthy spirit, especially today with all the stuff that's out there. Um, Body and spirit, pure. Um, A virgin, right? But notice it's a she. We're dealing with the female. It's not a double standard. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Same thing as a man that marries a woman. And this I speak for your own profit, not, uh, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry." So verse 36 is sometimes uh, interpreted as uh, if you're dating some girl and she's a virgin and oops, you get a little overheated and you fornicate. Well, that's okay. Just get married. How many of you have ever heard it taught like that? Okay. I mean, some of you have? Okay. Uh, I used to see it that way too because I didn't have any teaching on it actually. But what's going on here is he's not talking about that he's talking about the father giving away his virgin daughter he's not has nothing to do with if you're if you're dating some girl let me just set this straight right now if you're dating some girl and uh she's not yours until you marry her you know like put a ring on it beyonce said or whatever you know you got to have a ring you have to you have to be committed that is still how god actually expects it to work even though nobody pays attention I shouldn't say nobody, but very few. And so I get annoyed, uh, actually, when I when people come fornicating and they're like, Oh well, you know well no, it isn't like that. You really ought to honor her more than that. And you ought to honor yourself more than that. You know. I teach my kids that. I'll teach your kids that if you let me. Because it's heartbreaking. And this is dealing with the father. And how he handles his daughter. Which I know as this is going out over the airwaves. You know, that's, I know, the current attitude is, oh, that is misogynistic, man. You are overbearing, male-dominant, blah, 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 blah. Hey, listen, whatever. That's the way God designed it. It's all about protecting. It has nothing to do with being a... Most dads want to get their daughters married off, let's be honest. (laughs) The alternative is you're going to take care of them. But if he loves his daughter... He wants her to be married to a good man, right? And uh, not, not to a jack leg. And he wants whoever marries her, especially if she's pure in body and spirit, she doesn't want to marry some guy who doesn't honor that. She wants him to marry a guy who's honorable because she's honorable. And that's what a man should instill in his daughter. This is talking about how a man handles his daughter. Uh, but if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin... If she passed the flower of her age and needs to require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. So it's also possible as a father, you feel like, you know what? I'd like to keep my daughter around. She's a great help around the house, especially in the context of history where we're talking. You know, She's helping mama with the kids. She's really good. She's really useful around the house, on the farm. But you know what? I can tell this this. She needs to get married and move on. She's, she, her clock's ticking, and because I love my daughter, I'm not going to keep her. I'm going to I'm going to make sure she gets betrothed to someone uh, that will honor her, and and I will let them marry, need so require, because I don't want to wait till she passes the flower till, you know, she's a spinster so to speak, and uh, so I'm going to go ahead in the in the prime of her life and let her marry, you know. It's really common sense, isn't it? There's seasons of life. And so, yeah, it's like, Daddy, I'm 30. What do you think about me getting married now? Well, maybe we should have thought about that 10 years ago, (laughs) you know? Um, So, I mean, nothing wrong with waiting until you're 30. Don't get me wrong. Or 40. I think Doug Pearson was, what, 40-something when he got married. So, praise the Lord. Uh, He attended upon the Lord. Okay, so... um, Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So one of the problems you have in verse thirty-seven in, in this text as Paul's writing it, and one of the reasons I think someday they'll probably want to ban our Bible as hate speech, is because it's it's possessive there. The father has possession of his daughter, which you know. By the way, you used to have possession of your kids too until you know the last ten, fifteen years. So, um, you know, that's all just changing in our culture where the state owns your kids. The more socialistic and Marxist we become, the less influence you have on your kids. But there was a time when you had, you were expected to take care of your own family. And you didn't have the state. You didn't have anybody else, right? It was your job to take care of your wife and your kids. So just kind of keep that in mind as, we, as some people read this through a lens that's, again, some fantasy um, that's not not valid So no this is not being misogynistic Because it's his virgin And it's his daughter It's his daughter for goodness sake So then uh, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well But he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better It's his discretion If he loves his daughter he'll do what's best for her uh, The wife is bound by the law As long as her husband liveth But if her husband be dead She is at liberty to be married to whom she will Only in the Lord There's your New Testament principle Till death do us part right? That is what God intends. You can be married till death do us part, then she can be remarried after he dies. She is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also I have the Spirit of God. Of course, Paul was giving his advice. He didn't know this was going to become inspired and preserved like it is, but it was what God wanted us to have. And so I really appreciate uh, 1 Corinthians. Now then, you you expect uh, there's this, there are the issues of unfaithfulness that come into play, which is Matthew five thirty-one through 32. And God says, but in the case of fornication, there is the law of divorcement. Uh, but the marriage bed should not be um, defiled, not only for Christians, but go to Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Look at this passage, Hebrews 13, 4. I might make more questions than I'm answering with this. That often happens when we study the Bible, by the way. You have one question, then you start studying, you get more. So that's good. The Bible just keeps going. It's like layer after layer. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. I I quote this quite often. This was was really good for me. It helped me settle some things. Uh, Because I've been a little twisted on this subject uh, here and there along the way. So I've learned. One of the principles of Bible study, right, the last principle... Is when you learn something you thought was right was wrong, then you change what you think to what the Bible says. So this is an area where I've had to adjust my thinking a few times, and this verse has helped me a lot. Hebrews thirteen and verse four: Marriage is honorable in what's it say? All and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now let me now. I love that verse for a lot of reasons because. Marriage is honorable in all. What does all mean? Everybody. So for a long time, I, w- I believed and was taught that if you weren't saved, your marriage was not valid. Has anybody ever been taught that? Just me? Okay. Well, you Pat, You probably remember where that came from. So I was taught that if you're not saved, God doesn't recognize your marriage anyway. Okay. So you need to be saved. See, this is where this bad logic goes. So if you're not married, if you're not saved, God doesn't recognize your marriage. Now, that's not really consistent with what Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians 7, where he's saying, stay, to, stay yoked to an unequal, to someone who's lost so that your kids will benefit. I kind of skipped over that passage about the kids, talking about your kids being um Clean. he's talking about hey so they're sanctified set them stay married for the kids sake there is there's merit to staying married unequally yoke for the kid's sake um, can't always happen right because sometimes the unbelieving depart and something else I was going to share with you and I was I was going to get to that but let me stay here for just a second so I was I was taught that yeah if, if it's not in in Christ it doesn't matter it's just like it is nothing that's not biblical the laws of the land, at least in the United States and in Missouri, <clears throat> you, there's, there used to be a thing called common law. I like common law. Marriage. I mean, I, it's better to, you know, do it with witnesses and before God, but I like the concept of if you want to fornicate and live together for seven years, by law, you, come, you become joined whether you like it or not. Now the kids are bound. And dude, you're responsible for those little kiddos that you just hatched. And uh, and it's your problem, whether you like it or not. So you, you know, you can't just walk off. And so, uh, the common laws they, they quit doing that somewhere back in the seventies or somewhere. I don't remember. But uh, so there is no common law marriage any longer, at least in Missouri. But God definitely recognizes. I mean, the, the state of every. How many pastors get up and say, "By the power vested in me, in the state of Missouri, the state of Kansas, the state of Iowa, whatever," and the and as a God, as a minister, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We even acknowledge that. The state of Missouri is acknowledging this marriage. Why? Because even lost Gentile powers recognize marriage. Before there was a church, hello, there was marriage, right? Who was John the Baptist rebuking? He's, he's, a lot of these guys are Gentiles. He's like, hey, it's not lawful to have, of course, it's Herod who's pretending to be Jewish, but he's like, it's not lawful to have your brother's wife, man. What are you doing? That's against the law. I mean, you can't you can't do that, and so um, I mean, there actually is the the law of the kinsman redeemer, but that is not what they were doing, and so John the Baptist got his head cut off because he was calling out ma- uh, marriages to Gentiles that weren't right, and and of course, of course, the law rep- uh, they, to this day, if you, you can't get legally divorced in, in the state of Missouri without going to court, that's what the whole who who hoopla is is like is a marriage between a man or a woman, or now is it a marriage between a woman and a woman? Is it just a contract? Right, and so of course everybody's dropping the ball on standing with God on that. So God will judge us, and we'll reap what we sow there as an as a nation, and and as a as a people. But biblically speaking, of course God recognizes the marriage of of a man and a woman that are lost. It doesn't mean that he know, he knows that they're, they're. It's better for them to be married than not to be. It's better for them. Why why just practically forget the Bible, but biblically why is well practically why is it better for them to be married than not to be? And what makes it a good thing? Yeah, even for lost people, it is to help me. But what typically happens when a man and woman come together? What? Biologically, they produce children. Typically, right? So God's looking out for the, the children, even the lost people, saying, "Look, even the Gentiles know that it's that marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled." Right? So. Even lost people, you know, J-Lo, been married four times, right? She's out making movies about being married for the rest of her life. Like, is this like your fourth or fifth one? I don't know. But she's still like saying, you got to be married. Because even lost people know that it's better to be married. There's a, it takes care, it covers the children. Because if there's no contract, then guess what? He can just drag up on her. She can drag up on him. Those kids are left hanging in the wind, God protects the weaker vessels. Now, spiritually speaking, of course, for Christians, the issue is you shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So that's a whole other issue. But marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. And so um, I've also heard it taught, erroneously, that marriage is flesh joining flesh. How many of you have heard that? right? Marriage is flesh joining flesh. Now, there's an aspect in which that's true. The marriage bed and coming together even the even the biology of it is a picture of a lot of things in the Bible uh, that are holy and the temple and all of those, those things. So I won't get into that in any depth, but you can do your own Bible studies. So yeah, the marriage bed's important. The tokens of her virginity are important. All the Old Testament things are important. It was important before the law. It's always important. But having said that, the teaching that if you don't have if you don't do have due benevolence, First Corinthians chapter seven, then you're divorced. That it's like you're not married. So I've actually heard people say that. So so if you're married legally in the state of Missouri and you've been married to Heartland, you stood before me somewhere and I said, pronounce you man and wife, you're legal. In the sight of God and witnesses, you're, you've made this covenant. But Yeah, you're not having marital relationships. Okay, well, you're just as good as divorced, even though you're married. Anybody ever heard that taught? There's a problem with that. You're still legally married. You have a problem, for sure, that needs to be fixed. Yes. Yes, you have a problem in your marriage. You need to fix that. You need to get some help. Maybe you need counseling. Whatever. That's a problem. But you're not divorced. You're not free to do... You're not, you're not divorced. You're not free. You're still bound. And you're bound to the person you're married to, the man or the wife that you're married to. You're not free to go find someone else. That's convoluted uh, thinking. You're still married. You just need to deal with your problems and, and get some help. So um, so there's just a lot of weird ideas out there that, that float around, and I've had several of them. You know, I've been taught some of them. I've kind of just assumed some of them, some things I just didn't fully grasp about what the text was saying. So take your time and understand marriage, because marriage ultimately at its best is Ephesians 5, a picture of Christ and the church. Does anybody want Jesus to leave the church? No. And that security that we have, I mean, that's one of our fundamental things that we teach here, isn't it? When someone gets saved, lesson number—lesson one salvation, but lesson two is eternal life, eternal security, right? We're focused on, man, Jesus loves us so much, it's unconditional, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Exactly. He's a picture of the male factor in a marriage. He never leaves or forsakes us. He loves us unconditionally. Even we're not rendering him due benevolence. He, still, he doesn't kick us to the curb. He sticks with us. Until we come back and get intimate with him in prayer and reading the Word of God and being in fellowship with Him. And so the point is simply this, is that is that the picture, ultimately the picture is Christ and the church. And in the church age, that is the picture. And when you take that picture of Christ and the church, and then you overlay it on a, a Christian couple, then you got everything you need. And every really every marital problem should be able to be reconciled within that context. And the only thing that would really disrupt that would be death. But, and this, let me, let me deal with the church for just a minute, but why do Christians get divorced at the same rate then as lost people? Why is that? Why do Christians get divorced at the same rate as lost people? They're what? They're not taking what God has designed seriously. Yeah, I'd say so. That's a, that's a good answer. And that's as good as any answer i'm going to give you i would say so um biblically too i would say we could probably say today at as we're on the cusp of this the, the coming of christ you know to catch us away and start the day of the lord with the in the church almost a similar attitude as the pharisees the pharisees were looking for reasons to get divorced they weren't looking for reasons to stay married And Jesus was having the same conversation in the first century that we're having in the last century. Because when you talk about the subject of marriage and divorce, you know what a lot of people are looking for? A divorce. They're looking for the way out. And so, obviously, with that kind of attitude, what often happens is, well, people are looking for a way out in spite of what the Bible says. In spite of what the Bible says, who Jesus is, and what he can do. And I know it's difficult. Emotions overcome the reality of what the Bible says. But the truth is God's word is enough. I believe that with all my heart. Or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing as a pastor. I do believe any two Christians. I was taught by my disciple. And I've already told you his, story, his, his testimony. He taught me. Any two, Brian, I believe any two Christians that love God can be married. As long as they're male and female. Oh, that doesn't mean it won't be difficult if they come from different backgrounds, different age groups, different this, different that. There can be all kinds of difficulties. At the end of the day, though, two Christians that really love God, they'll figure out a way to overcome all the difficulties. And I I believe that's true because they're in God's perfect will. Doesn't mean it's easy, right? But it's it's doable because God, God honors it. God honors it. If two people have that kind of attitude, they will God will I believe God will provide them the grace to stay to stay married faithfully and honor him and, and also get a lot of mileage out of that marriage. And again, I've had a great marriage, so I'm blessed. I got married I got married I got married, I got saved and I had a wife built in. I mean, God really made it easy for me to on ramp. So I, I've really been charmed, not charmed, I've been blessed to, to really have an easy run. My wife's made it super easy on me. But I was discipled by a couple who kind of bought this T-shirt, and they lived it out. And I, I, I could bring them in here, and they could tell you, man, it was curtains for us. They were ready to both go their separate ways. It was Jesus who brought them together. Jesus that changed their heart. It started with God changing their heart toward Him, and then He changed their heart toward one another. And so I'm just saying when Jesus was talking to these guys, he says, certainly. Man and woman, that's why I designed it from the beginning. There's no excuses. But for the case of fornication, there's this. And because of, the, okay, let's go over to Matthew 19. Yes, the law of divorcement, Moses wrote it, because you have a hard heart, pal. But he intended it to stay together. So let me give you this and, and on this, and I'll be done, done with this subject for tonight unless somebody has another question. I've got one more if I got time I'll run through real quick um, but over in first Timothy or is it second Timothy uh, hang on here where's the one where Paul says uh, he's worse than an infidel what is it it's in one of the Tim- Timothy's um, doesn't provide for his own house five thank you You know the reference there? Eight? Okay. So, having said all of what I've said, uh, and getting back to this, so let me quickly just cut to the chase. What Jesus said and the way he said this is exactly how it's going to roll in the millennium. You got a marriage problem, what is the problem? I mean, Jesus is on the throne. (laughs) Everything is going his way. I mean, come on, man. There ain't no reason for divorce. Okay, moving on. First Timothy chapter five though, it says uh, let's just run it from verse one. Rebuke not an elder, but treat him as a father and the younger men as brethren, uh, but the elder women as mothers and younger sisters with all purity, all right? So he's saying, hey, make sure you treat people with respect at every level. Older men as, as, as fathers, uh, younger brethren, as, as peers, elder women as mothers, younger sisters with all purity. You know, don't be, getting, don't be getting fresh and ornery with them. Honor widows that are widows indeed, right? Reet Sparks, you honor Reet Sparks. You honor the widows that are widows indeed. Betty Arnie, right? There's all these widows. You honor them. Uh, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and requite their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Uh, and so family members, we should take care of our widows, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she liveth, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Okay, so he's given the pastor some information here how to deal with some of the issues in the church. And then he says this in verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, and he hath denied the faith, he hath denied the faith, faith and is worse than an... Infidel. What's an infidel? It's an unbeliever. And as a pastor, I've come across this, and it put it put First Corinthians seven in a different light. When I've seen a man, and I've seen a woman, at least two of them, drag up on their families, right? And so we always talk about the deadbeat dad. Sometimes there's deadbeat moms, right? Um, And so whatever. Meth, gets a hold of him, whatever, something happens. And next thing you know, you know, stepdad's taking care of the kid. He's adopting the stepkids and his own, you know, it's just things happen. And they act like an infidel. But they said they were saved. And I actually, Paul doesn't even say they're lost. He just says, you know what? That guy who doesn't take care of his house is worse than an Infidel. I used to have a. I was when I was coming up in the Lord, uh, I was a junior high counselor. I worked with a guy, you know, every week doing devotions and, you know. I thought he was saved, think he's saved. I, I don't know. I don't have any reason to doubt his testimony. And just one day, he just drags up on his wife and kids. He's, like, got four kids and, you know, gets a girlfriend, whatever, heads on out. He's gone. Walks away from the ministry, walks away from his family. So the wife, what's she doing? She's remaining unmarried. She's sticking to the book, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians. She's like, I'm staying unmarried or be reconciled. That's kind of what you ought to do. But after one year goes by and two years goes by and three years goes by and the lightning hasn't hit the guy and he's actually now remarried to some other chick or living with some other woman and having other kids with some other lady, what do you do with this lady? And that's where I've seen this whole uh, getting really legalistic about. Well, you know, she should wait. Well, well, really? Is she going to live at your house? <laughs> so I say all that to say this: I, there are times, just like when Jesus said to the Pharisees, "The hardness of your heart." It doesn't matter who filed at that point. It doesn't matter. She's on welfare. She doesn't have a, She's trying to do daycare, take care of four kids, got the mortgage that he left her with you know, whatever, three, four, literally five or so years later. He's worse than an infidel. He's worse than a lost man. If there's liberty, 1 Corinthians 7, for someone who's literally lost, right? As Paul lays out, if they're not pleased to dwell with you, then what do you do with someone who professes Christ and acts like they're lost or worse? It's worse if you say you're saved and you act like you're lost. That's even worse. So sometimes, I'm just saying, to give somebody... What I'm not saying is that when someone walks in the door of the church and they're a Christian and for some reason they've faced divorce, just cool your jets a minute because you don't really know what they've gone through and you don't know who they were married to and you don't know what happened. They may have wanted that marriage with all their heart, but that doesn't mean they weren't abandoned and the only other option was for them to have a right bill of divorce. So uh, there are times, even though it shouldn't happen, when people who are married are divorced. If they act like they're now, I don't think there's an excuse. So uh, if they are saved, a brother or sisters, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it. You know, two saved people should be able to get, get it reconciled. That's all there is to it. But what about adultery? I think even adultery. It's hard. But sometimes, and it's happened in this church, serial adultery. I'm not stomping up and down. You talk to a sweet guy, a sweet woman, and says, man, I, I, Brian, how many times do you want me to forgive him and take him back? I mean, I've done 70 times seven. Okay. <laughs> There's a point as the pastor where I just am like, guys, I get it. They're acting like an infidel. You know, short of castration, you know, I don't know what we're going to do here. So, uh, you know, I'm. it's... It's, what's that? (laughs) Yeah, Kim, be careful. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's times when uh, it's just people that that make professions act like, they act worse than lost people. I've seen lost people have more natural compassion and more want to for marriage, for God's picture of Christ in the church than saved people who love themselves so much that they act like they're lost. And so, hey, that's what Jesus is talking about. For the hardness of your heart. So how do we treat someone that acts like that? Well, I treat them like they're lost. If you're going to act like you're lost, I'll just treat you like you're lost. we got a brother right now outside of the church just because of that. He, if you're going to act like you're lost, I guess I'm going to have to treat you like you're lost because I just can't let you tromp around here like you're not. I don't think he's lost. I'll take him at his word. I'm just like, okay, I love you enough to blow the whistle. Say, time out. Don't do that, you know. So there's times when it happens, and uh, it should grieve us. It's not something we should want, but it does happen. But it shouldn't, especially with two Christians. It shouldn't happen. But sometimes Christians act like infidels, and they shouldn't, but they do. All right. But at the end of the day, the issue is the kids. What drives the, like I was just talking about, the lady with the guy I used to be a counselor with. So at some point, too, you're looking at the same issue that God's concerned about, is the kids. There's a responsibility to the children. Who's going to take that? And in the case of this this real story I'm telling you about, that young lady ended up getting remarried. Um, Kids are doing great, family's doing great. She's lived happily ever after, a good Christian man. And the other guy, I don't know what happened to him. The guy I used to be a counselor with, I I don't know. But to my knowledge, you know, he's still in the world. And if he was ever saved at all, I don't know. Maybe he was never born again because he sure did not act like it. Well, I was going to get to another question. So the other question was, what's the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit in the Bible? That's a good question because there is this distinction there. Um, But I don't have time. Let me... Pause. We have time to finish up here, but is there any like burning questions, or did I, if I confuse anybody, or left things cloudy uh, on the subject? It does get kind of cloudy when it comes to divorce and remarriage. Yes, ma'am. No, that's a good question. Physical abuse. This actually gets a little bit in. This is a good question. So part of the whole issue of marriage is uh, is authority and protection, which again is anathema of today, well, you know, when you, you talk about ma- male authority in the home, I mean, what is that? And so, uh, but that authority comes with provisions of protection and, and providing, um, and so protection. So if a man violates that, um, he should have several layers of people to answer to. So if Matt violates it, he's got me to answer to as his pastor, he's got the police to answer to, he's got uh, if your father was alive, he'd have your father to answer to. Yeah, you, you rule out rules the brothers, all those guys. He has that to answer to. So there's a protection mechanism. Uh, there should be. Uh, and so that breaks down, of course, sometimes. But uh, there is a there is an there is that's part of the separation. There's a time a lady First Corinthians seven can't take it, and uh, that is one of the reasons she may have to literally get out of the situation until they can get reconciled or remain out of it because they can't because the guy's an idiot stick. And so, (laughs) yes, no. So that's a good question, though. And it it does drive at the heart of the whole picture of um, giving your daughter away to a good man and all of those things. So I would hate to think that I would give my daughter away to a man that would abuse her. And, uh, you know, that would not set well. Uh, and and so you know, and you see these ladies who get these boyfriends, and they kill their kids. Unbelievable. I mean, that's why you don't do that. You know, if your dad, if they're not checking out with the men who care about you, or your uncle, maybe your dad's gone or whatever, but you got an uncle who really loves and cares about you. As a matter of fact, I tell people, ladies, like, I, if you got, a, I don't care if he's lost or saved. Um, if you're like in a family situation and dad's gone, or you're in a broken. You know you're raised by your you know your mom, but your dad wasn't around. But you got an uncle, or you got men in your life that love and care for you. Kind of looking at, well, check that guy by them, because even lost guys, they'll they'll size a the guy up, and be honest with you, say, huh. You know, I do t- I do I do believe that um, that ladies even today in this culture they should take advantage of the men in their life that care about them, and their family, lost or saved. Obviously, if they're saved, that's really important. But even a lost guy. Sometimes we'll give you an honest read on a guy. It won't be the same as the Bible, you know. So it's only goes so far. So bring him by with the pastor. <laughs> we'll take care of that. Bring him to church. But on the other side of that thing is is uh, there's just a lot of things that go wrong on the front end that usually could pro- prohibit getting into that situation. But even in that, you never know. I mean, guys are really I've, there's some, been some real idiots that some some jerk faces that that uh, man they just Once they get an inch, they take a mile. So yeah, there's you can't you can't deal you can't put up with that. So so that's what you have Romans 13. Call the police. I will I will counsel that. Because I'm not well, not unfortunately but I mean I'm not I'm not authorized to cuff people. I'm not authorized to throw them in jail. I'm not authorized to correct an abusive man's behavior. But the law enforcement guys have teeth on that, so um, so you kind of got to stay within your lane with authority and do what you can. I can, I can I can talk to a guy and try to help help him you know deal with his anger issues and what have you. So anyway, yeah. So there's, that's a good question. So what's it say about it? Well, God doesn't like it when you deal with your wife wife treacherously, and that would be included physical abuse. That's the opposite of nurturing, loving, caring, providing. You know, do benevolence is not just sex, right? It's, it's being kind and gentle and the fruit of the Spirit. So if, if, if it's a wrath, anger, malice, clamor, yeah, sorry, Matt. The, <laughs> you're going to have to turn it around. No, just, <laughs> no, I just, so, yeah, there's, in these cases, you know, it's a, and it's always a case-by-case situation, and uh, and you find people in abusive situations; they don't even realize how bad it is, and all of those things. Um, and so you've got to help them as well. But anyway, those things are not just; those are kind of one. Those are kind of uh, what you call them. You got to take those one at a time. You know, there's a lot there to unpack, and you're, it's not going to get solved in front of a group of people on a Wednesday night. That's for sure. But if you do, if you're in a situation where a lady's you know fear of her life, guys abusing her the children, or vice versa, she's abusing them and the kids, him and the kids you know get out of that situation until we can get some counsel on it and get it get them protected that's the first priority that's a crisis response but it's not a counseling response it's crisis counseling it's not an ongoing so the idea with there's some sort of traumatic thing going on like that you got to you got to stop it you got to stop the bleeding and then hopefully you can normalize it and get it to to normal counseling and that may require some separation for a time so that's a good question very good all right well guys Sorry, I had more questions, but we'll get to the Holy Ghost next time. So next week we're doing apologetics. We're going to apologize for everything I said tonight. No, we're going to uh, apologetics is is going to be is about is about giving a defense for our faith, and that's all it really is. Of course, the Bible stands alone; it defends itself. So really, you got to know the Word of God. And so uh, Randy's going to do at least 14 weeks on that. So that's going to be a, quite a study. Yeah. So um, that will give me time to kind of plan for the next seven-year cycle, hopefully, and uh, that will be good. Uh, so uh, any any other questions? All right, let's pray and uh, dismiss. Caleb, you want to lead us in a word of prayer, brother? Uh, yeah, right there.
1: Heavenly Father, we just, uh, come before you this evening. We just thank you for the word that was brought tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for Brian being able to clarify, um, a lot of this, uh, that we have questions about it just in our daily lives. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that we can, uh, take this with us and just use this, apply this to our life and also be able to maybe help somebody else that's in a situation that, um needs help in marriage. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for. Um the folks watching the uh, kids tonight. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us the rest of this week. Uh keep us safe and bring us back Sunday. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.